Hello and welcome to Smosa Chats, where every week I, comedian Preet Singh, will host a guest who has challenged South Asian norms, whether that be through pursuing a passion as a career or devoting their work to challenging the status quo and taboos within our communities. So sit back, grab a smosa, and enjoy. Welcome to Smosa Chats episode two. Uh, we're here with Mona and her mum, Simi. Uh, how you guys doing? Good, thank you. Thank you for having us. Very good, thank you. Yeah, this was a bit of a surprise when Mona suggested that you should come on. Yes, I, I wasn't was. expecting it. I thought it was your suggestion. Nah, so we were talking about it earlier, weren't we? Like how, um, oh shit, it was my suggestion, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mum was like, oh, I'd love to talk about some things. And I was like, no. And then you were like, bring your mum on. I was like, mum, okay. I thought, I thought it would be um I thought it would be good to just like have um have like a real perspective, innit? And like when you told me your mum's story, I was like, Yeah, we've got to have her on. <laughs> um obviously uh, I am gonna call you auntie or mum. I'm just gonna it's gonna be one of those just two. Just call me Simi, it's fine. So, okay, that was very direct. She was like, No, just call me Simi. <laughs> don't, <call me mom. laughs> don't call me mum, you fucking weird. No, I, <laughs> I, think, I think in this country, uh, you know, there is no uh, disrespect in addressing somebody by their name. Yeah, but then I call Sanjay, right. Sanjay, mum's boyfriend, and she's like, call him Sanjay uncle. And I'm like, he's not my uncle. <laughs> no, it's just that in, in, in he's a boyfriend. Asian close families, it's nice to give, you know, some, some people do kind of, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I was brought up like that. Feel, feel good. But I was brought up like that. Generally, I do believe that, you know, it's fine to. All right, Simi it is. So, thank you. So, thank you for coming on, Simi, I should say. Obviously, Mona. Well, I was going to say works here, but like obviously this is part of her project as well. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so when did you first come to the country? I'm assuming you're not putting that accent on, right? <laughs> oh no, I didn't think of my my girls are always making fun of my well, in no. not not like ridiculing me, but in a nice way, making you know they think I have a very uh, Indian accent. But it's I've not very. You've got the twang. I've been here a good 27 years now, and I came here in January 1993. Uh, after I got married to my ex-husband, yeah, now ex-husband, yes. Did you did you come here before the marriage or no, because I, of the marriage? No, that was uh, the first time I came here, and that was after I got married to my ex-husband in '92 December. So yeah. I came here on the first of Jan, 1993, on a cold, frosty morning. Um, nice. Yes. So how did you actually end up getting? married to your ex-husband what was like the story behind that well, how did it actually happen it, it was uh, an arranged match uh, and it was through the matrimonial uh, columns of uh, a leading newspaper in India but having said that uh, even though we connected through the newspaper uh, my uh, sister-in-law which is my Pabi in Punjabi I would say my cousin's wife her sister was married into a prominent family in London. So my folks called up her father-in-law and he seemed to know the family from having seen them at the Gurdwara. And he, he kind of confirmed that they were decent people, or they were a decent family. And uh, basically that was the green flag yeah. uh, to go ahead. I had met um, my ex-husband a couple of times, two, three times where we'd spent a few hours and he seemed uh, decent enough. Um, he seemed a good man. Yeah. So it, it all happened very quickly. We met uh, in August and uh, we got married in December. In that time, he visited my family in Bhubaneswar, yeah. which is a, a small city, um, capital of Orissa. So he visited my family, uh, and uh, you know it, it all went went ahead very quickly. Yeah. So how was how, how was like marrying somebody that like you'd only met? Were you like accustomed to it? Um, well, we'd I'd seen arranged marriages in my family, and they had uh, they all seemed to have worked, and uh, I'd had a little time to spend with my ex and I just went with the gut feeling. It all seemed good. Yeah. The family was good. Uh, 
my ex-husband seemed to be a, a good man. He had a decent job. Um, and uh, he seemed very keen. He said all the right things. Um, and uh, I got very positive vibes. And, uh, you know, it, it just... It, yeah. it, it, I wasn't forced into it. I wasn't pressurized. It seemed right at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just all happened very quickly after that. Right. And when, when did you first start noticing that something? Oh, we should just clarify as well that is Mona's dad is <laughs> Simi's ex-husband. My father. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> this is a very interesting like, little dynamic we've got. Obviously, you're hearing about your dad as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know all of this beforehand? Yeah. You must have told me when I was maybe like in my teens. Yes, we did talk about because how the relationship I was turbulent. So I guess it wasn't really um, a topic that you kind of avoid. I yeah. guess I maybe asked you, "What are you doing with this man?" You told me how it all came about. So, yeah, yeah. No, at the time, it it all seemed good. Uh, in fact, uh, it 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 almost he seemed like a fairy tale. Uh, I'm an only child. I don't have any brothers or sisters, and I lost my dad when I was uh, six years old. And my ex seemed, uh, uh, he said to me, oh, you know, I've, I've waited this long to get married. I wanted to be settled. Uh, your mom can also come and live with us. You know, I, I have a good job. I'm doing well. Yeah. Uh, so he said all the right things, you know, and I thought, great, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because obviously I, I did say to him that I'm an only child and I will need to make a trip to India every year. My mother will come and see me and I hope you're okay with that. Yeah. And he was uh, very happy to say that, look, I've, I've been blessed with, uh, you know, everything. I have, um, I'm earning well. Your mom can also come and live with us. I thought that was very generous of him. And, uh, uh, but it, I, it never know, happened. It, so uh, no, don't don't jump ahead, Mona. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to build up to the story. Okay. Oh, sorry. So um, yes. so to so recap, he said all the right things, and I didn't pick up on anything. Um, I didn't pick up on any red flags. He was a smoker. Um, I wasn't very happy about that, and he did say that he would give it up. Yeah. And I believed him. Right. Um, but now you ask me, and I'll tell you. People don't give up, you know, smokers, people have been smoking many years. Um, very, very, very difficult to make, make somebody give right. up. Mm, and it wasn't just cigarettes. Yeah, and it was later I found out that it wasn't just cigarettes. Oh shit, it wasn't crack or anything, was it? <laughs> not, not crack, but might as well have been from the state he ended up in, to be honest. Yes, so it was, uh, when I came into this country, I was... Uh, Shocked and horrified to find out that he was uh, smoking cannabis. Uh, it was a bigger deal back then, okay? <laughs> yeah. Especially for an Asian man who's, you know, mid-30s, smoking joints every day on the weekends, pretty much a day without, you know, and then wanting to kind of settle down with a young wife and being like, nah, I'm not going to really adjust this lifestyle. Yeah. I'm just going to keep living like a teenager. So it's very much yeah. like a dependency thing and maybe even like an immaturity thing. Uh, no, when... I think uh, it was an immaturity thing. Well, I remember the first day I landed here and we... And he took me home and um, he pulled out a box and rolled a joint. You know, I'd never seen something like that. And he explained, oh, you know, just like people have a drink to relax. Uh, I come from a Punjabi family. Yes, the men will have uh, whiskey or scotch or, you know. Yeah. Whatever he said... Uh, <laughs> This was pretty much a recreational thing, and uh, it was harmless. Yeah. Uh, it was actually less harmful than alcohol. That's what he said to me at the time. But over a period of time, I found his dependency on it. He needed to have three or four joints every evening after coming home from work. And over the weekends, on a Saturday or Sunday, typically he would wake up and roll a joint first thing, even yeah. before his cup of tea. And uh, this would carry on till about two, three o'clock when he would finally go and shower and have something to eat mm-hmm. and get ready. And then maybe we would go out for a little while. Um, he had promised to take me on a honeymoon. We, we never did have a honeymoon. We came straight. I got married in India and we came straight here. 
uh, he said, oh, I've taken a week off to help you settle in. And that week, he told me how to use the dishwasher. He taught me how, showed me how to use the <laughs> dishwasher and the Hoover and that sort of thing. Um, and we just, we were at his parents every evening. We would go out for a little while and then end up at his parents or his parents would come to his, come to our place and we would just eat together. Yeah. So I didn't resent that. I, I imagined he was helping me settle in. I needed to get to know family. Mm -hmm. But that promised honeymoon never did happen. Uh, I do think it's important. It's important because it's that time where the man and the woman get to spend a lot of time with each other and get to know each other yeah. uh, a lot about each other. You know, it's, I, th I think it's a special time in that respect. Mm. Uh, but uh, we ended up spending a lot of time with his parents and his sister and uh, I was not happy about this new thing that I'd learned about him uh, that he was smoking mm -hmm. cannabis uh, not only cigarettes but cannabis and and he said oh you know it's it's quite harmless but I, I will I will try and give it up you know I'll, I'll give it up when when we have a baby I'll give it up yeah and uh, uh, my first one came along soon, uh, but no, he never gave up. And then I had my second one again on the promise, yes, I will give it up, I will give it up. I imagined that he would become more responsible. And uh, yes, my second one uh, came along four years after my first one. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, he didn't change. He continued to stay the way he was and his habits only got worse. I was uh, like a single parent, uh, you know, pushing the, taking my children, taking the push chair out on my own, you know, just taking yeah. my girls out and with friends to the park or swimming or gym or whatever, doing a lot of things on my own, only because he just couldn't be bothered to, he was too lazy, he I think he fundamentally the point is here that it what you kind of discovered quite quickly was that you'd married a man who maybe had been brought up in such a way that he was sort of stuck at like 21. He was a man child. Right. Um, and this sort of lack of respect um, wouldn't break the habit. Awful father. <laughs> or um, culminated in then like a disastrous relationship. Yeah, he, he absolutely adored the children. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but there is your life changes after you have children. You you no longer can have the luxury of sleeping late. You got to th do things for family. You've got to put your family first. Otherwise, you know, just continue to live like a bachelor. Mm. When you bring people, when you bring a woman into your life, when you have children, you have to make the effort to take them out, teach them things, do things with them. Your life changes in so many ways. Yeah. But he, he didn't want to do any of that. Uh, also, I found out he was a complete mummy's boy. So I was just about um, to. I was just about to say. So it sounds like from everything that you've said, um, and I guess there's a relevance here as well. So it sounds like there's a lack of growth as as a person. And I think the relevance of this, like, I'm bringing you onto the podcast today, is I guess this is almost like a cultural epidemic, isn't it? That this like whole like lack of like you got you have like a lot of mummies boys who in the even, Punjabi culture in the I would even go so far as to say in the Indian culture just yeah. in general mm. and maybe even South Asians because mm. like I, I can't imagine that this being just like a Punjabi thing or, or just an Indian thing like there is something in that subcontinent where it's like you know you're, you're, the boys are babied the women are given like a burden from early on like you cook you clean you do this from like since you're like 12 mm. And then, like, the boys are babied, but then it extends almost to, like, what you were saying, like, the, um, the sort of immaturity to actually grow out of those habits. Mm -hmm. um, that maturity isn't there. So what I find is that family is like my ex-in-laws. Families that have come here in the 60s and the 50s. Um, you know, they, they come here, they've left their parents right yeah. so they've left their families back in india the couple has come away my ex mother-in-law has walked away from her in-laws um, 
Yeah, and uh, their children grow up here. They grow up in the West. So there's a different set of rules for them. And then they, they have this desire for their sons to go and get married to a girl from India, you know, a woman who goes, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, sir. Mm -hmm. You know, whilst their daughters can do, do you know, what, what the hell they want. Right. But there's a different set of rules for the daughter-in-law. You know, they have to be a certain way. And uh, the sons are allowed to do anything. They, they, they just get away with doing whatever. Yeah. They can do no wrong. So there's a huge amount of pressure on this woman who's come to a different country. You know, and marriage itself being hard work between two people, these external pressures, um, they, they, they're a perfect recipe for disaster. Yeah. You know, instead of letting two people find their peace, uh, you know, when there's the mother-in-law and the father-in-law and the sister-in-law uh, and all the politics that happens, mm -hmm. it uh, puts a huge amount of pressure on the on actual the, family. On the marriage. Yeah. And even if there is some chance of uh, a couple you know, finding their peace after a, a, a period of time, mm -hmm. you know, the marriage breaks down. Yeah, because of because, those external pressures. Because of, the, of that, all, all these external factors. So, going back to your own relationship here, so you, you're married, you've got a couple of um, children now. Um, at what point does the marriage sort of take a turn? At what point does it get too much? Um, and that you can consider sort of, I, I, I guess, separating, but maybe even before that, that stage before where you're like, okay, something's definitely like beyond the pale here. Yeah, no, I think what happened was that uh, my ex-husband, you know, even after two children, did not become a responsible father. He just got from bad to worse. And... Uh, I think things just went from bad to worse at the point in time when I actually started to live with his parents. Um, my ex-husband's dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's and uh, because he was the only son, he said, now we, we must move in together, I have to look after my parents. And I had my apprehensions because I thought they didn't like me even when I didn't live with them. And how are they going to, what is it going to be like? What was your relationship like with the in-laws? Um, my father-in-law was a good man, but unfortunately, he didn't have much say in the family. My ex-mother-in-law and sister-in-law were very strong women who liked to have things their way. They were not happy with me. Um, I just failed at their expectations. I just wasn't good enough. There I think was, uh, honestly, nothing Mom, I could do right. But no one would have been good enough because it's like it's my son, it's my brother. Like no woman is good enough, and that is also you know that you could tell that from the way this my my dad was brought up by his mother. I was just about to say. So does that, does that go back to that cultural point of like not? I, I guess in that in, in in that way, like the babying of the of, of the brother or the male son or whatever you want to call it that continued into marriage but then there was no separation where it was like okay you can build your own household now yeah i think so because really what the wife was meant to do was to like you said cook and clean make babies and then other, everything else like th there was no other purpose mm -hmm. so that's why they were like well you know we are the main women in this life that one cooks and cleans and makes the babies but really in terms of, you know, where this man is going to go and who he's going to listen to, it's not going to be the wife. Wow. So I could do nothing. I wasn't good at, I mean, I wasn't good enough for them. I couldn't cook, you know, my, my cooking wasn't good enough. The way I was raising my girls was not good enough. Mm -hmm. I didn't dress properly. I didn't clean properly. So basically, uh, I didn't do anything right. Right. You know, even, even though my friends think I'm a good cook. My children think I'm a good cook, <laughs> but... He was like, this doll is not good enough. It's yeah, not as good as my mother's doll. And that is all that's the purpose so of a woman, like, right? <laughs> yes, 
so nothing, nothing was, uh, I, I could do nothing right. And the daughter could do nothing wrong. The son could do no wrong. Yeah. Um, so I guess so it was like you were almost an outsider in a home that you yes, were supposed I, to be building. I, I felt I was made to feel like an outsider. And uh, what was very hurtful is that uh, when I lived on my own with my ex and I didn't live with my in-laws, my family was able to visit me. My mother came to visit me. Yeah. As soon as we moved in together, I was told that, uh, oh, your family can't visit. So I gave up my space to look after my in-laws only to be told that here's a no entry board for your side of the family. Right. So my mother couldn't visit me. At one oh. time she visited and she had to stay with a distant cousin of mine, you know. Yeah. Uh, do you reckon so that's like a cultural thing or do you reckon that's... Because there, there's, so many, there's so many stories like that where it's like, the wife, first it starts with the wife getting ostracized, like from the main family, but then she's still there to do certain bits and pieces, like you said, the cooking and the cleaning. And then the family starts, it's almost like a form of emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. It's like a very slow burning abuse. It's control. Yeah. It's yeah. just control, you know. It's almost but like you've married into this family now, like really just forget about everything else. Mm. Yes. So, um, so yeah, so your family, so your family is effectively being distanced away from from you I guess yes uh, you've yes, got these so, two kids uh, that that was very painful um, that you know here I'm expected to be a dutiful daughter-in-law and look after my in-laws uh, again it was not my father-in-law this was my uh, mother-in-law and my ex-sister-in-law you know who who said absolutely no your family can't visit what were you feeling at the time then? So this is all going on. What, were you, what was your emotional state like? I was, uh, I was at a lot of pain emotionally. Uh, felt totally alienated. Felt very unhappy and trapped in a marriage. Um, and uh, my, my girls... Uh, were also unhappy. They they went to the best school, but I I was called into school once when the teacher said my older child had been crying mm-hmm. um, to a friend, you know, to say uh, my father treats my mother very badly, and you know how unhappy she was. So it was actually impacting on their education. Um, so it was a very unhappy situation. Yeah. Uh, and I think what happened was uh, as, as time passed, as the children grew older, uh, I think I managed to gather the strength to, to walk out. Yeah. So I didn't have any family in this country, you know, apart from uh, a cousin. This is actually my... Uh, cousin's daughter who was here but no, no one very close where I could just kind of pack my bags and go yeah. she had her own family and uh, I, I didn't know what I would do if I left I didn't know the only places I could go to were these uh, women's centers refuge centers yeah. and I would be uh, appalled at the thought of taking both my girls and living somewhere I would think oh what's going to happen to their education what's going to happen to them mm-hmm. uh, but I think uh, like I said I, I, as children got older Mona was 14 and Sabi was 10 when I just decided by that time there had been uh, quite a few episodes of physical abuse uh, where my ex-husband had hit me uh, emotional abuse control and uh, I decided I didn't want to live with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, every time I tried speaking to my mother to say it's not working, she would uh, just tell me to try, you know, her, her it, it would be like, try Karo, keep trying. Yeah. You know, try to make it work. And there was no like understanding and, uh, or anything? There was, uh, 
Yes, so she, I, I think because of this huge stigma attached to, oh, you know, if she comes back to India, what are people going to say? Mm -hmm. So each time she would say to me, oh, you know, you're an intelligent woman, can you not try to win his heart and win, win you know, in wow. Hindi she would say, unka dil ki koshish karo. Mm -hmm. you know, be respectful to your mother-in-law and uh, they will come around. So even the but pressure to like fix it was placed yes. in your court. Yes. Even though you've done effectively nothing wrong. Yes. So, uh, and when I did finally gathered the courage to um, to leave, uh, a lot of extended family uh, were not sympathetic at all because they thought, "Oh well, is the man having an affair? Does he want to leave you? Why does she want to leave?" Mm -hmm. He's a well-to-do man, and why does she want to leave? And their attitude then was, oh, we don't want to be involved. She, you know, it's her bed. She's made a bed, let her lie on it. You know, that sort of, that sort of attitude. And that's your own extended family? And that, that, that was extended family, to think, you know, that I was out of my mind to do something like mm -hmm. that. Um, so apart from a few cousins my age who were able to see where I was coming from, there was little sympathy and uh, but now in retrospect I think it's the best thing I did yeah. because uh, uh, you know after years of having walked on eggshells of uh, of not having a voice of just being you know just being in a very unhappy relationship yeah. uh, it was liberating it, it, it was very hard it, to, to be a single woman with two, two girls, but uh, I think we managed to pull through and... Uh, well, you're I'm, here today. I'm, yes, I'm here today. <laughs> we made it out. My girls are doing well, I'm very proud to say, uh, and uh, I'm doing all right myself. That's good. I qualified as a mortgage advisor last year. Oh, congratulations. Oh, we can get a round of applause going for that. <laughs> Dropping mics. To go, so, so your mum mentioned you there and like your school and stuff. Do you remember any of this? Like what's like your earliest memory of this stuff? Because I think, I think one, of the, one of the weirdest things, and like we were talking off camera about, about this stuff, is that everybody has, everybody in our generation, like second or third generation immigrants, mainly second, always have something where they're like, oh, this happened. Yeah, almost like a sort of family secret. Uh, yeah, 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 a dirty, a dirty secret. secret in the closet. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously yeah. every family has like politics and drama, no doubt about it. But yeah, like, I think growing up in that sort of environment, what I, was, I, told, I was speaking to my mom about this um, a couple of weeks ago, like the whole thing was like a massive like mind fuck for a kid because like my mom said, like we lived... Uh, uh, when we all moved together, we lived. We moved from West London to Surrey. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful house, beautiful area, wonderful schools. Everything was great. Really lovely friends. You know, everyone was really nice and middle How old class. Were you at the time? Um, we must have moved in all together when I was eight. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you know, wonderful education, everything. But um, it was such like um, I guess like a juxtaposition, like from school and the lovely private school and lovely friends and great education and wonderful teachers to then coming home to this like really horrendous atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we were in the middle of like wonderful Surrey, but like no one knows what went on in that house. Like, like I remember once, um, well, they used to argue like mad mm -hmm. and then it would get physical. And I just remember waking up one morning, you woke us up in the morning, um, Savvy, me and my sister, got ready for school, came into the kitchen, and my mum had like a lump on her, fore on her forehead. And I don't think me and Savvy said anything, or maybe we did, and you said you maybe like fell or something. And then my dad came with the same lump to make his coffee. So he'd obviously headbutt her the night before when we were in bed. And it's just like then having to go to school, like knowing like all this had happened, it was just mm -hmm. like, but again. But you, did, but you couldn't say anything? Well, no, there was no one really to say. And the atmosphere at school was, was lovely. Like, it was, it was a total escape. But it was like, do any of my f other friends go through this? Or am I the only one? Or is this normal? Or they look really happy. Or they t say such nice things about their parents. Their parents seem to like each other. Yeah. And it was all just like extremely confusing for someone so young. But um, I think with time, 
We kind so of realised. Oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 that's it. <laughs> so in so so where your mum mentioned that you said something at school. Yeah. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Oh, okay. No, I don't because I don't think it happened very often. Right. It right. must have been really, really bad. Right. Like possibly an ambulance call or a policeman the night before or something at the house. You know, when you're definitely like, well, something is fucking wrong here. <laughs> so to get up and go to school in your uniform and like act normal and sit in assembly mm-hmm. and trying to be, you know, get through the day was really hard. And eventually yeah. you would crack. But at one point in time, um, you know, after my ex-husband had hit me a few times, I did call the police and then uh, the social services stepped in and uh, they came to, they wanted to meet me with the children because they were very concerned that the children were in this atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So uh, thankfully, um, well, the meeting happened in, in my children's in the girls' school because I didn't want to see them at home. So their report was positive. They said the uh, mother was uh, calm and a balanced person and the children were dressed in clean clothes and they were doing all right because for the social services, it's just they, they are um, on, on alert for the children coming to any harm. Yeah. So they gave a positive report there. But uh, just to say that uh, the atmosphere at home was awful. At one particular time, I remember my ex um, uh, was was uh, furious. There was a massive row, uh, you know, between my ex mother-in-law, and uh, he threw a, a plate at me, and uh, and I, I remember my younger one was petrified she was eating at the table and she uh, went and sat under the dinner table she wouldn't come out Uh, so my ex-husband had thrown a plate at me and then he had uh, broken one of the shelves in in anger he had you know just hit one of the cabinets in the kitchen and uh, my, my, my younger one was under the dining table you know, not wanting to come out of there. Yeah. I actually remember sitting under the dining table and feeding her because she was she had food on her plate. Wow. So so yes, it did it it did actually affect my children. It, um, yeah. And I, I do feel I do feel very, very sorry that, that, you know, they should have had a happy childhood. They didn't that there was no want for anything you know there was everything there yet there was no happiness mm-hmm. only because of the way their dad was yeah um, i think the most scary no holidays we mm-hmm. had no even for those who can't afford holidays they can still have happy memories mm-hmm. you know where the parents take them to the park even if it even if it's a visit to the park to a local attraction to somewhere you do things together yeah but we don't have any such memories because of the way my ex was mm-hmm. and because there was just so much tension in the home at yeah. all times and then when i walked out of there um, even though the dad promised uh, that he would pay continue to pay for their private education he stopped doing that and uh, my girls had to, from having gone to the best schools, had to go to state schools. And for them, it was a huge, especially for my younger one, it was because she was only 10. Yeah. Uh, my older one, Mona, was 14 then. So it was a huge shock to her system, especially my youngest one. Yeah. And uh, it affected her. It affected her performance uh, in the academic mm-hmm. she was a bright child but uh, but it it uh, did really disturb their education um. yeah i mean I, I i guess that's something that like people don't talk about well maybe they do talk about it with domestic violence is how it like almost permeates through generations doesn't it mm. so it's like even though the the problem was in your relationship it becomes a household thing and then it's like you know yeah. It's affecting the children as well. And it affects, like, like literally, like, every, even though that obviously it's no longer going on, my parents separated, because obviously 
when everything was happening, the most terrifying thing, I think, for me and my sister being like, obviously the only children in that situation, was that there was no one trying to stop it. We lived with our grandparents, but no one really tried, like they really didn't do anything. Um, so as you can imagine now, how I feel towards my dad and my grandma is really probably quite unhealthy. You know, in, uh, I'd like to add something here. Yeah, sure. In my mother's generation, she tells me that at one time, her brother uh, and his wife, so my mamaji, mm. you know, they had a huge row and uh, my aunt left his, my, my uncle's home. But the parents were very quick to step in. So my grandfather and my aunt's parents got together and told them, no, you, you have to try. And they, the, the parents promised each other, you know, the, yeah. the, my, my mother's father, my grandfather, that, oh, please don't worry about your daughter and we'll do everything. So the uh, elders have a responsibility mm. you know, to, to make sure that in an arranged match, they give all their support towards making their marriage work mm -hmm. as opposed to being a force which is tearing them apart yeah you know which do you feel like that was a that was a factor in your relationship i think so i think so i think the parents did not uh here when i say parents i i will only refer to my ex-husband's mother mm -hmm. uh because my father-in-law uh, bless him he, he passed away he had parkinson's he, he was not with it but I do think that the elders have a huge responsibility, mm -hmm. uh, you know, towards making sure that, that they step in and try and do what they can to, to set things right. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, unfortunately, in, in some instances, they become these evil forces that, that, that just, you know, that, that will just escalate a marriage breakdown. Yeah. Which is what happened in my case. And my granny, it's not even that she ignored what was happening. She, she almost condoned it, didn't she? She said... Yes. What, so what at one say? point in time, uh, when my ex-husband had hit me and my mother called from India uh, saying that, um, you know, that this is very wrong and uh, these, you know, the, your, your son is educated and you're all educated, so you should have... You should sit down and talk and you know what was the need to raise his hand now this conversation happened in Punjabi and uh, my ex-mother-in-law to that to, to my mother saying what was the need to raise his hand she goes oh sometimes you have to hit wow. them to make them understand I guess the translating translation so, there is also hit and beat Yes, hmm. so uh, to that my mother said uh, that you have a daughter also at home. Mm. So, uh, my auntie. So, so just to say that, you know, these are people who have lived in the West, they have a daughter themselves, but uh, such insensitivity towards yeah. somebody else's daughter, yeah. you know, which is. Uh, a very sad and shocking truth. Yeah, and that was something that we were talking off air about as well, weren't we? Where it was, we were talking about how like the daughter-in-law, and I guess it throws back to the podcast with Calbear as well, mm. where it's like the daughter-in-law is just seen as like a totally separate ent en entity. Like it's not you even said, like it's a like a trade, like a trade-in. She's an outsider. Yeah, you know? something that you've sort of bought with the. Um, money <laughs> yeah. or gold Dowry, or whatever, yeah. whatever. Um, who's kind of now joined your family to make your babies because obviously the bloodline needs to continue <laughs> and um, yeah that's really it they really don't mean anything yeah it is it is intense like I guess it's it just come comes down to just like changing a whole culture I guess and I do think it is happening maybe not as fast as it should but I think in our, our generation yeah. it's still definitely still present and it's definitely too Common. So when we moved in together, when I moved in with my in-laws, it was at a new property, a much bigger property. So uh, it needed to be renovated. So all the decisions regarding, uh, you know, whatever was, how the house was to be furnished, whether it was buying rugs or lights or what color to paint the walls, 
it was all uh, my ex-sister-in-law. My ex-husband would ask his sister, who did not even live there. So I was uh, just meant to... It was, it was basically like a slave. And bring up you were the help? The, yeah. yeah. So I was just basically domestic help, you know. Wow. Uh, I mean, I have a master's in English. It's not as if I'm... Bam, auntie's just showing up now. <laughs> <laughs> a woman. But uh, I was just not good enough. Mm-hmm. Because of your position as an outsider and a daughter-in-law. Yes. So all, all these things were very hurtful, you know, just very hurtful uh, to live with. Mm. And, uh, so obviously it's not surprising to anybody that you got a divorce. <laughs> like, <laughs> you filed for divorce. What was that whole process like? So from the point, at what point did you decide, like, do you remember when you actually decided that, okay, we're pursuing a divorce? Uh, so it no, was because so, of the children so many and stuff. So instances happened apart from the physical abuse. There was uh, the the verbal abuse. Uh, you know, just using words like "kutti haramzadi," which I'm sure wow. is a Punjabi. You stupid fucking cow! <laughs> I remember yeah, that, that one vividly, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is terrifying." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the girls had to listen to it. Girls I mean, the thing is, as soon as, language, you know? as soon as us three got in the car and went to school, like, the mood totally changed. Like, as soon as he kind of left that environment, we'd laugh about it, we'd take the piss out of him, we'd, you know, wish horrible things would happen to him. Yeah. But, yeah, ultimately, I think you were kind of leading up to that point where you were like, I definitely have to do this, I definitely have to do this. And then, Sabi and I got to a certain age where you were like, right, they're not like babies anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I like if I stay here any longer, I'm literally going to die here. So we have to get out. So at one point, I, uh, I mean, I was looking for an exit. Uh, I think it it was from the tenth year of the time uh, when I completed ten years. <laughs> you know, it's I, like I, they're in prison. I, yeah. I, you know, I think that's the that's the time. I thought, no, no, this is this is not the way uh, I, I can live the rest of my life. So I think it was, it was that time when I spoke to a solicitor friend, but the time I finally did gather the strength to do it was the 15th year of my marriage. Mm-hmm. So it still took me time. Five years. It still took me five years. And all that time, my mother would say, oh, keep trying. I did try. I tried to make it work. But I remember one time, um, there was a huge row again over family. And my ex took my car keys away. So I didn't have a car. Right. And uh, so he was driving them to school. And uh, so this was my punishment. Yeah, wow, like you were a child. You know, just so I was confined to home. I mm-hmm. couldn't go anywhere. Um, I had started a course, um, a CELTA course, which is Certificate in Teaching English as a Foreign Language. And... Uh, uh, so I had to go to college and where we lived, the uh, public transport is not good. So in, this was peak winter where I had to walk to the station, which was about a mile, uh, half a mile or more, and then change two trains to get to college where I was. So this, this was all meant to just make life very difficult for me. I guess there's a hum- so, humiliation aspect as well, isn't it? So, so just to live with that humiliation was uh, what just broke me inside yeah you know i can imagine yeah the, the, it's, it's weird like being being a guy as part of this conversation is just strange because it's like you can't imagine being in that position i guess and i don't know I domestic think you violence can't and imagine stuff treating happens. someone and like then that. you know yeah. you especially the person who's had your your children yeah you you kind of look to the man that you're married to is supposed to give you security is supposed to protect you and when you're living in fear of that very man, mm-hmm. I think that that is uh, that tells you that it's it's wrong. The relationship is so wrong. Yeah. This man, who's supposed to make you feel safe and secure, um, the the home where I lived in, the doors had sensors, you know. So when they opened, they would make a sound. So when he came home from work, and I could hear the beep, uh, I would. I would have palpitations, like, oh my God, he's come home. Jeez. You know? I think we all uh, felt like that. Yes, so... Did you, did you share this feeling? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah like the more out of the house he was the better and yeah. yeah like he could he could leave for work like in a totally fine mood and then come home and just be like giving us a silent treatment and fucking slamming doors and he'd be like what's up and like you know there was mm. just it was really really hostile did you guys ever experience what your mom experienced no no he always no 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 never like he really has never done anything to us but again because we're blood and mommy is not yeah so it's like that thing isn't it mm. it's true so so the divorce that ends up happening and i'm assuming you remember the actual divorce yeah, i think yeah. we, you were saying off air that you actually encouraged it yeah i think once we got to a certain age um yeah what yeah I, I was around 15 when the divorce went through i was like you have to, like this is not okay like with age you kind of realize i think also you yeah you know your eyes get open to these things through school and telly and whatever yeah and you realize that this is not normal <laughs> normal people don't live like this and obviously seeing my mom in you know such a state i was like yeah we have to we have to fuck off out of it immediately mm. and we really didn't care about the consequences of you know not seeing our father again it really didn't matter because the damage was so done yeah and so, so at yeah. one point because i didn't have anywhere to go uh, you know take my children and go so for some time i i remained in the family home mm-hmm. whilst the divorce was going on and that that was you moved into uh, my room yes i would sleep in my daughter's room and uh, it was an awful atmosphere in the home because my ex was uh, you know just abusing and so i got a non molestation order against him on the advice of my solicitor um but my ex uh begged me to take it back saying that oh um you know please please take it back and i'm willing to give an undertaking that i won't do anything and because i had to stay there and i had nowhere else to go i took the order back yeah um but i'd had to call the police on a couple of occasions before that and then my ex mother in law got a non molestation order against me now this was just before i was going to india i went to attend a family wedding and my solicitor said to me you must oppose that and i said to her oh i don't say anything to them i never you know uh, it's fine i'm going to india now i'll i'll come back and see mm. what to do i got back from india and within a week of you know i was still thinking oh i have to do i have to go and see my solicitor i made an appointment to go and see her this was all planned uh, after one argument over something just a verbal argument my ex mother in law called the police saying that i was uh, abusing, uh her. You know, abusing her right. and i was uh, and i still remember it was a friday evening i was uh, the the police took me i th- i thought i was just going to give my statement and and i said to the girls i said i'll be back soon mm. you put your lipstick on you put your perfume on we yes, were like oh so she's just popping out <laughs> you know i said oh, oh, i'll be back soon don't worry you know and i was shocked appalled horrified to find that i was detained and i had to spend two nights in jail i <laughs> i couldn't in prison i couldn't stop crying i it, it was the most uh, horrific traumatizing time that i can remember to be in a cell yeah for two nights uh So I I cannot even describe it. I so why? Describe it because it was a non-molestation order and uh and you effectively broken it. I had effectively broken right. it. Right. Okay. And how much does the civil person know about law? I had no idea that this is this could happen if I was framed into this and uh my ex-mother-in-law was actually uh it was all planned and it was my my daughter actually said in court that the mother in law said oh we will do to you what you did you know because you called the police on our son so we will now we're going to well, throw you at him right. so so eventually when so at that time um the court hearing didn't place take place until monday and i was told that i i have to leave the property so uh i was escorted into the property uh, with with a policeman where i just packed a bag mm. 
and at the time at the time my ex was very apologetic he said oh you know i didn't know he was not in the house when all this happened when the mother did all this yeah so he said oh don't worry i'll i'll, I'll sort out I'll, i'll give you a property to live in and whatever but then he changed he it took a month before i was in court again uh, there was a court hearing again and uh, thankfully my children gave evidence it was on the evidence and statement of my older daughter mona who's here um i was acquitted and uh, i had an excellent defense lawyer it was actually a scene out of a film <laughs> in, in court where where the defense lawyer proved mona was able to say that look the the uh, grandmother wanted to get revenge and this is what she said and because yeah. mona was party to all that So, Mona, you're a uh, snitch. <laughs> you're giving statements. Shit, they're going to come kill me now. <laughs> What so, was that experience like for you? How old were you at the time? I don't know, 14, 13, 14, 14 15. Yes. It all kind of blurs those years of kind of eventually leading up to the, to the whole thing. Um, yeah. But no, it was mad. And again, you kind of were forced to pick a side. And there was absolutely no way that, you know, gosh, the lectures I used to get from that side of the family... like your mom's a bitch like you really are better off with us yeah. i was like mm, i don't know about that to be <laughs> honest and honestly they would i'd literally sit there like crying my eyes out and these three my, my dad my auntie and my grandma would be like your mom's a bitch your mom's a bitch like literally like indoctrinating yeah like you're better off without her she's done this to us she's done that to us but nothing like it was just never ever convincing because i knew i was there to see like ultimately yeah i've seen how you treat her right um and i know there's there's no good reason for it so So it's a pretty yeah. easy thing to do, I guess. Like even though the process might have been difficult, but Yeah, like, yeah, no. it was a no-brainer. There's no way I was going to see, you know, anything bad happen to my mom yeah. at the end of the day. Got you. Got you. It's intense, man. Like I I like I couldn't be I I couldn't picture being like 13, 14, <laughs> having to like fucking worry about history homework and also like, "Oh, go 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 defend my mom in court." Like <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's intense. It is intense. It's crazy. And I don't know how much like Again, it was all very insular. We've got quite a small family, in honesty. Um, so I don't know how much of that eventually seeped out into the community once the divorce came through and stuff. Mm. But I, yeah, you know, then, you know, them lot were all like telling people one thing and then, you know, things would come back to my mom and there was a huge yeah, amount of rumors and stuff. Yeah, that always happens, of course. You know, they will, they said a lot, lot of nasty things about me, mm. making me out to be... Uh, oh, she only got married to my son for a British passport, and she's a gold digger, and you know, just just a lot of nonsensical stuff. Yeah. Uh, which you know, the close friends who are close to me, who've had an insight into the family, know know what is what. Uh, but yeah, you 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 find out it was it was after that you know you find out who are your real friends. Uh, how things change for you yeah uh, when you become single uh, <laughs> how uh, uh, you know two of my married friends their their husbands asked me out they thought oh the woman's available now <laughs> so you know these, these things these things also what is happen. wrong with Asian men like honestly uh, is, this, is that know? generation bro no that is fucking I, I'm sorry that was the funniest thing I laughed for like a good 10 minutes when you told me that but earlier like, imagine imagine going through a divorce and then there's somebody on the line like hey bro you need you yeah like your, your friend's husband he's oh, like oh my hey God. Like, it's just such a horrible yes. thing yes that's amazing <laughs> that must have been an ego boost though you must have been like still got dinner, it you know? yeah did you get from that you know, no <laughs> <laughs> sure. bros before hoes people even even aunties are dear to I that i think you were just 100 put off men to be honest and no, i think we all I, were i i don't know i i was actually just amused you know <laughs> i i thought yeah welcome to this uh, welcome to the world of being single it, it was also very liberating in a sense mm. that uh you if know, you don't mind me asking was, how old were you at the time i was 41 Gotcha. Okay, so you're still like a young woman. Yes, yeah. but yes, it was peaceful. We, uh, my ex gave us. He, he had this property which I did not even know about when I was with him. But it all came <laughs> out in the financial disclosure. It was a very small uh, property, uh, but we lived. It, it was a huge drop in the standard of living and what my girls were used to. But uh, the, 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 there was peace. You know, yeah. we, we didn't. There was no fear. we had little and we survived 
with little yeah um and it was uh, liberating not not to be told about what to do and uh, you know what i'm not doing right mm. it was just very frustrating to live with that sort of thing you know you you, mm. you have a man who's not happy you have a mother-in-law who's not happy and it was a rotten atmosphere did you did you come out of that relationship like i i know you said that it was liberating and it was like a breath of fresh air i guess but did it take you time to like rebuild your own confidence and stuff or did that uh, shit never leave <laughs> yes, no it it did take time uh, it did it did take time but uh, slowly from you know being a uh, an anxious tense timid woman um i got into the asian media through some friends and uh, i even did some work for television mm-hmm. uh i still anchor events so what does what what does that involve is that because of your uh, story or well i speak fluent hindi in addition to english yeah so um i've anchored several events at the indian high commission um uh inaugurations of fashion events reported for television for right. an asian uh tv channel my dad never so wanted my mom to work by the way so she's got her masters oh, okay, right, from india okay. but he was like no i will make the money you just make the babies and clean and make the doll and whatever so yes, as soon so as we kind of broke away from that mm-hmm. you were just like right like now i 100% can pursue everything i want oh, to do okay okay yeah, yeah. gotcha right right that makes Hence sense why so the career change so i think we we have come a long way i i still don't have a lot of money but but i think from where i was the journey to where i am now it's uh, yeah it's 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 a long way and like you're shaping your own life and stuff and yes yes so i i do believe you know i that that we do have it in us we do have it in us to steer the ship of our life mm-hmm. in the direction that we want you know it's you just have to gather the courage to do it yeah you know i did the fact that i suffered for the number of years that i did because we are conditioned to believe that endurance is a virtue and that that you've got to make it work and you know how important it is to to make a marriage work uh again i think we human beings are optimistic mm-hmm. so optimistic that we forget where optimism should end and realism should step in spoiler you know for mm. so for many years i believed yes things are going to get better they're going to get better but to actually wake up open your eyes and smell the coffee and think no this is not working i need to get out would that be like your message to like people yes. in similar situations yes so i would say yes don't give up easily but uh be sensible enough to understand where optimism should end and realism should step in where you have to become realistic and think this is not working mm-hmm. i'm not going to get a gold medal <laughs> for being in this marriage you only live once and i need to get out yeah you know and i think once you realize so, that the behavior like you can't change someone although you might like to try and think you can um you really can't so when that sort of thought is so ingrained and by ingrained i mean someone was raised from a baby into the man he's become with this sort of disrespect with this anger and with this like my mum is god sort of mindset mm-hmm. there is absolutely no no changing it like he will always he will die like that yeah no god yeah do you reckon could you imagine yourself like obviously you're somebody who's born and raised here mm-hmm. uh pretty pretty coconutty i have to say i have to say <laughs> um no, no but like as in somebody who's born and raised here mm. could you ever imagine yourself being in like a position like that no no i mean what i can say is it um being in that sort of growing up in that sort of environment and seeing that sort of example of a relationship um affects you in adulthood in that when i got into my first relationship it was not a healthy one but um red flags didn't really like there were plenty of red flags at the start but i yeah. didn't see them because i didn't really ever see sort of any sort of healthy relationship 
Do you um, mind if we talk about that? Well, you're we can do briefly. <laughs> <laughs> briefly, like, nah, fuck this. <laughs> Obviously, you would, like, 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 stop it. But do you reckon that had had an effect on, like, how, I don't want to say how accepting, of, uh, like, you know, I don't. Do you think that example of, like, your parents' relationship led you to believe that certain stuff was acceptable when it wasn't? Yeah, and you know what? It was really confusing because I kind of associated this behaviour, and this is obviously, we're kind of focusing on the South Asian community, but um, I was very much against ever being with someone who was brown. Right. Because I thought that all brown men were wrong and and just not for me and, like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started going out at 17 with someone who was white and British and whatever. And but those red flags appeared in kind of some behavior traits that were very similar to my dad's. And although I, I looked at my dad as not any sort of like great figure or role model, when it came to like in a relationship setting, yeah, I was more accepting of things because I'd seen, I guess, I'd seen that with my own eyes. And even though I knew it was wrong, for some reason, I, I stayed and I thought I can change them. Right, right, right. And I think, again, that was naivety. And with age, you kind of, again, evolve a new layer of um, understanding that actually, this isn't a cultural thing. This is a people thing. And you yeah. cannot change people. Right, right. Does that make sense? Mm. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, I should point out to any of our listeners that are offended by any of that. She has ended up with a brown dude now. <laughs> so, <laughs> very good. Very, very good. Okay. You I'm not stick- racist. You stick to <laughs> you stick to us, okay? <laughs> uh, but that behaviour can honestly be in anyone. Yeah. Um, and uh, this guy's behaviour was absolutely not to do with like being mummied or anything like that. But you know, it's still a hundred percent unacceptable. Yeah, and I do think it is important to like point out as well. And we talk about this all the time before we even thought about doing like anything like this. That there is something endemic in like our community, South Asian community. Punjabi community as well, like the way that women are sort of like thought of, but then also domestic violence and it specifically. Mm. And I think in your generation, Simi, it's like women were coming in, a lot of the times it was women that were coming over from India that were vulnerable, I guess. You didn't have mm. a social circle here, you didn't have your family. And it was almost like, I guess you were like being preyed on. Like it was, it was strange. And then you have the, the flip side as well, where it was like, women who'd come over and modernized and stuff. Mm. Then we're like bringing home, bringing over dudes from, um, bring dudes from a different culture that were then like resenting that, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you fucked either way, really. Yeah, and you've seen, you know, there's so much out there kind of in the media with books that have been written and documentaries have been made about this kind of subject. And yeah, those are the people who speak out, but it's very much still something that no one really talks about. And women go through years of abuse without seeking any sort of help or brushing under the carpet or thinking it's okay. As two people who have gone through something like that, what, what would your advice be to women in situations like that? Well, I would just say that, you know, there's, um, you, you always have the decision to, to uh, you know, walk away and not be helpless. There is help out there, you know. You don't have to put up with a life of indignity there are always choices Mm. you have to be strong enough you have to have the courage to uh, okay give it your best shot Uh, and then uh, you have the courage to actually walk away Mm. and uh, and also not care what people would think about it and not and not care about people who are these people it's your life Mm. it's your life and you live only once and make sure it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's a nice message. So, um, do you have a message for any like mummies boys out there? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Stop I, I listening would just say to your mother. If, if you're a mummies boy. Please don't bring another woman into your life. Marry your mummy. Please live with your mummy. You you have no right. You and mummy live happily You have no right to bring another woman in your life. You know? Please, please. That's how incels are built. (laughs) Stay with your mummy, you know, and and if you're not ready to take on the responsibilities of a married man, please don't bring a woman into your life. Nobody's putting a gun to your head to to get married. Please just enjoy life. Stay single. Um, 
and uh, if you are if you've decided you're going to bring somebody into your life and uh, have a family then please grow up <laughs> and, just and grow the fuck up all right and do the right thing yeah. <laughs> do the right thing i like that because one thing and, and I guess it's probably best to like end on a positive note as well and we talked about this off air as well is how like content and happy you are now like in your life and that there was like a life after the divorce and you know going through I guess like sheer hell for like a few years there is something at the end of it and now you're living like a happy content life yes definitely I think we've uh, yes the journey was not easy but uh, you know it's definitely been worth it you know we are in a much happier place things are never going to be perfect mm -hmm. life is always going to throw challenges mm -hmm. uh, there are challenges of, of a much different kind and um, but just to say that we live I live a life of dignity uh, there is somebody in my life now who treats me really well and uh, I'm very happy where I am my, my girls are doing well and uh, yes I feel blessed mm. but I know uh, even though that is the case I think because you spent so many years in that marriage mum does say things like oh like those years that have gone and stuff and I'm just like you cannot think like that like you know it's gone and it is yeah. gone and you're not like really really old <laughs> like <laughs> this world time has gone you know it's it's but that, I know that, you feel bad about that and you sometimes you know, say oh. I just wish for my girls now I just wish that they they find love and they find happiness and uh, yeah you know uh, whatever time is gone I can't bring it back but you know I still feel blessed I think we all have to count our blessings basically you know mm -hmm. um, so yeah missed out on on some things didn't have a happy married life but god has been kind in a lot of other ways and uh, i think like i said you know i feel blessed excellent yes sounds like a good note to end on i think there's only one thing left which is a familial hug if you would like to sign off like that mona oh. there we go thanks for coming on mom thank you Vita. thank you cool, <laughs> That's it, cool. excellent well done, Mummy. Yeah, that was great. You were great. You were fantastic. Should we just replay that around?